Good to see you guys. Well, we have a lot of people. Do we mean it's gone? Uh, as Alexandra was just read, uh, leading prayer, uh, the, the word kairos really um, stuck out to me. Uh, and I really feel like it's not fair for us to think that Emmaus is having their Kairos moment, and we are not. It's just wrong for us to think that they're having their Kairos moment right now, and we are in a Kronos. That's such deception. So I want every single person to wake up to the revelation that you right now are in a Kairos moment. And God is going to speak to you. He's going to release clarity and vision over you. I don't know how this message is going to apply to all of you. Really, I'm not sure, actually. But God will speak to you through this very word. So, yeah, let's really shift into that Kairos moment mindset. Amen? All right. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. So a lot of in-house preachers have been doing um, sermon series. Pastor Christian has been preaching about finances for about like six weeks, I think. Pastor Arian's been doing a series on Deuteronomy. Pastor Marcus is doing First Corinthians. And I have, I've been preaching from the book of Ephesians. But not many of you know it because I've been preaching mostly at Seaside. And also uh, I preached one sermon at Hillside. So I'm just going to give you uh, what I've been doing just so that you will know where I am. I preached the first sermon from the first uh, pre from the chapter chapter one. Uh, the chosen ones I preached at Seaside, and then the second one I preached at both Hillside and Itaewon right after my Indonesia mission trip. I got back from the trip and I shared a bunch of testimonies about how blindness was healed and lame woman walked and all that exciting stuff. And uh, that sermon was called Give Me the Revelation. That was a good word. So listen to it if you didn't get a chance. And then the third one that I preached at Seaside also, it's uh, chapter 2, the first portion of it. Uh, the message was called But God. Everyone say, But God. That's like the most powerful phrase that you will ever find in this book. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that as well, go listen to it. It's going to bless you. It's a really good message. But God. So today we are at chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. And this is going to be my fourth message in this book. So we're going to read it all together. I know it's kind of long, but a lot of these like chunks that I chose, like 10, 15 verses at once, it's not by choice. It's just because in Greek, it's one sentence. And in English, we broke it all down, but like verses 1 to like 14 is one one long sentence in Greek, so I had no choice. So it's, it's kind of like that. It goes like that, okay? So we're going to read from verses 11 to 22. Let's take, um, I'm going to read all the, I'm going to start, and then you guys take the next verse and vice versa, and back and forth. Cool, right? Okay, let's do it. Uh, we're reading from ESV. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Ouch. <laughs> but now in Christ Jesus, you who... Once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. By 
abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord and altogether. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. I feel like I'm doing a call to worship right now. I feel like I need to shout and just go off the stage. Anyways, um, so this uh, passage, it's really long. And I'm pretty sure that like, there could be hundreds of possible messages that could come out of this passage. You guys agree? There are so many different aspects in this, in this uh, short passage that's like condensed. Uh, together that I really had a hard time which one to really unfold and just really speak forth but God really gave me lots of revelation as I was meditating on it meditating on it I got a sip of water oh so thirsty it's because we sing we're thirsty we're thirsty really feel thirsty right now okay verses 11 to 12 I'm going to break down. We're going to have some Bible study at the beginning so that we can uh, really understand what this passage is trying to say. So verse 11, it says, Therefore, remember that at once... At one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Brothers, say, ouch. All right. Aren't you glad that you don't have to go through that? All right. (laughs) Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So let me break it down a little bit. It's talking about the Gentiles, right? So the the uncircumcised, the NIV says, or here it says uncircumcision, it's talking to a group of people that are commonly referred to as Gentiles. So in their mindset back in the days, it was just Jews or Gentiles. Gentiles or Jews. There was the only one separation classification that they had in their mindset. Are you a Jew or not? There was the only way that they thought. Korean, Japanese, European, Asian does not matter. Are you a Jew or not? That was the only way. So according to that, none of us here are Jews, right? Any Jew here? Jewish person? No, right? We are all what? Gentiles. Uncircumcised. Yeah, Gentiles. (laughs) But you got to understand that the uncircumcised, this is a very despiteful, scornful way of calling the Gentiles. You know, remember uh, King David? Right before he was a king, but he was fighting against Goliath, right? First Samuel chapter 15. You uncircumcised Philistines. I'm going to come against you, blah, blah, blah. Do you remember that? It's like a way of kind of like cussing him out and offending him in his face. You uncircumcised Philistine. It's a very, very, very offensive term. You know, so it's saying that we were the ones, you know, we once were the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. And then it says alienated from the commonwealth. Commonwealth here, it's just uh, equivalent to citizenship. So, for example, I think the closest, th- closest thing to, 
describe it that I can find from today's context is like uh, immigrants that live in America that don't have green card. You guys, none of you really know it, right? <laughs> But then I know some Koreans that moved to America and that's been trying to get their citizenship and could not get it, like the green card, you know, green card holders. And they are counted as the citizens of America. But then if they don't have it, they are just immigrants. You know, they do not get to, you know, the administration of the whole nation don't even see them as part of the nation. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like that. You are completely alienated from the From the Jewish community, you are kind of the outcast. You know, you had nothing to do with it. And also, strangers to the covenants of promise. It's talking about, just to mention some of the major ones, Abrahamic covenant. The covenant that God gave to Abraham. Gentiles had nothing to do with it. What about the covenant that was given to Moses, Mosaic covenant, they had nothing to do with it. What about the amazing covenant promise that's given to David? Gentiles had nothing to do with it. They could not claim those promises as their own because they were completely, hopelessly separated. They were left in the world. And if you listen to my book on message, I kind of broke it down more. But in chapter 2, Apostle Paul actually calls us pretty much followers of Satan. And you got to listen to that to understand the phrase. I know it sounds very harsh and offensive, but that's where he's actually saying. All the Gentiles, you used to be the followers of Satan in the world. And that's exactly what he's saying. Remember that you used to be those ones. And let's say what happens in verse 13 and 14. He starts with what? But now. Everyone say, but now. now. It's powerful. When there's, whenever there is but In the epistles, like the, the letters that you see in the New Testament, whenever you see but, you gotta feel that hope rising up in your spirit. It's like you standing in front of your father or mother. A lot of times mothers are more scary, right? So you're standing in front of your mom, your mom's holding a stick, and then she's listing what you have committed. You know, you did this, you lied to me, you treated your brother like whatever, and you did this and that, you stole, and then when mom says, but, that's when the hope rises in your heart, you know, oh, there's a but, you know, mom just said, but, that means she's going to show mercy, she's going to show grace, and she's going to say something good now, you know, after mentioning of all the bad things that I committed, you guys get me, am I the only one that got spanked when I was young, you know, everyone here, you feel me, right, or even in, with your teachers, you know, you did this wrong, that wrong, but, That's the moment of hope, just surging. You know, you got to be really filled with that hope when you read, but, but. And verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Let me ask you this question. How far is far off? It says by the blood of Christ, those who were far off were brought near to God. How far is far off? It's such a um, subjective, you know, am I, am I near or am I far, David Hahn? With me. Near? I think we're pretty far. Are we near? You know, it's like such a like, vague term, you know. How far is far off? Those who were far off were brought near to God. You know, 
And I think we need to really break down this passage according to what they were in in, in their context, cultural context as well. So in, in this time, this book is uh, known to be written in AD 61. So it's after Christ, you know, a little after. And then this is the letter that Apostle Paul wrote to the city of Ephesus and to the believers in that time, right? And a lot of theologians say that this book was written in AD 60 and 61 to 3 when Apostle Paul was actually kept in prison in Rome, right? And it says, so if you, you got to think in their worldview, you know, you got to think from their perspective, the, the people in Ephesus, the, the direct readers of this book, what would they be thinking as they read this verse? You know, far off. How far is that? Let me kind of explain. In their worldview, the distance or closeness to God, it is about, it's connected to the structure of the temple. A lot of blank faces right now. But the distance to God, closeness to God, when they hear these words, immediately what they, the Jewish people, would think is the temple. Even the Gentiles as well. So let me break it down. So if you, you guys know how the temple looks like? Do you have study Bibles? Westfall, can you throw that up there? I actually asked him to prepare. Yeah. So that... It's a picture of Herod's temple. That's the second temple that was built like B.C. 6th century or something. And they got destroyed in A.D. 70. So when Apostle Paul was writing this, that temple was still around in Jerusalem. So in Jesus' time, you know, Jesus goes to the temple. So in the, in the uh, four Gospels, like that's all talking about that temple that you're seeing right now. So that's where, you know, Jesus' parents, you know, Joseph and Mary, they lose him. You remember that? It was a boy, and then Jesus was found in a temple. That's that. Jesus was found there. And then, you know, when Jesus fasted for 40 days, and then the Satan comes to tempt him, one of the, the high places that Satan told him to jump off from, whatever, it's also in the picture. You know, so that's the, the hood for Jesus. You know, Jesus was around. You know, you can kind of relate to him, you know, to that time and to the culture and context. I love doing this. Am I the only one? Don't you kind of love it? You know, can you kind of imagine Jesus, you know, in that kind of context, you know? So when they hear about distance or closeness to God, what they would think about is this temple. Because there was clear division and limits that you could only go so far. So there were like certain areas are off limits. And let me just describe what it was like. Um, you know, that whole Herod's temple... And all the temples in this history are kind of similar. But then you know that the empty, whole empty, like a yard area that you see? You know, the largest area where no buildings at? That's called our court. That's like court of Gentiles. So that was the only area we were allowed in. And that was like the yard they would, I don't know, play soccer or whatever, hide and seek. We could do whatever we wanted to do. But none of the Gentiles could enter into the structure and the buildings that's in there. Isn't that so sad? You could enter into that outer court, but that's it. You know, everything else is off limit. And then as you go in, there's a, it's really small. You can't really see, but then, you know that the extravagantly good-looking building that's like the tallest? That's like holy place. That's called holy place. And in there, there's the Ark of Covenant, Holy of Holies. All the good thing is in there. And um, the... The furthest room, the, far, the farthest out, that one is called court of, court of a woman. So Jewish women were allowed into that 
room, but that was the off limit, you know, only up to that place they were allowed in. And then a little further in, there was a court of Israel, so all the Jewish men were allowed in. And then another one was court of priests. So if you're a priest, like, you know, for us, like, I don't know, like a pastors, full-time ministers, they were allowed in a little more, and then there was an altar for them to do like a sacrifices and whatever. And then you could go into holy place, and you could not go into, but there was holy place, and then behind the cur- curtain and veil, there's a holy of holies, which represented the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was kept in there, you know. So that is what they would think. Those who were far off, talking about what? Like, you cannot even get a glimpse of what's going on in the holy place. You're just kept in the outer core, just kicking balls and whatever, doing, chatting with friends, but you have no access to what? To the presence of God. Those who are far off. So there was not just like a vague language that they used, but actually, in reality, it will hurt them. We are far off. We can never, ever go into the place of presence of God. You know, it was an actual reality for the Gentiles. You guys kind of feel that? So far off, those who are far off, those who are kept out of court, those who had no access to the presence of God, who can't even get a glimpse of his glory at all. That's how far we were. I mean, in a spiritual sense, in our sin, I could talk about it from that dimension too, but let me just throw it off there, right? You guys know Psalm 84 and these beautiful verses that uh, King David is singing about. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. You guys know that, uh, what is this song called? From this, from this verse? For a day in your courts is better than, better is one day. Yeah, you know, better is one day in your courts. It's singing about, <laughs> it's singing about how King David longs to be in the courts of God. It's talking about being in the presence of God, yes, but it's talking about a physical structure like that. It's a symbol of it, but he's longing to be in the courts of God. You know, better is one day in that presence, you know. He's singing about that. My soul longs and faints for the courts of the Lord. That's how much he longed to go in there to the deeper place. That's why when we sing, we want to go deeper, we want to go deeper. That's what it means. Even that building, the ancient building tells us, the deeper you go in, there's a deeper, heavier presence of God that's present, you know? So, man, far off. We are pretty far off. And the verse goes like this. He himself is our peace, and he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Everyone says, so rag. Try, just try. I don't know how to read this. So rag. So rag. I think it's so rag. So it's S-O-R-E-G. So everyone say it again. So rag. Kind of like swag. It sounds like swag. <laughs> so so rag is the wall that was kind of like the boundary. So outer court. And then that was like the dividing line that was there for the Gentiles to stay behind. So that, that dividing wall was called Sorek, right? And um, it's interesting. It's not all that high. 
It's not like something that physically blocks you. It's, I think, like four or five feet tall. And I saw some pictures of it too. I looked it up. And it's pretty like, it's, you could just easily like kind of cross over. But it's just like a symbolization of off limit. You cannot go beyond this, you know, kind of thing. You know, kind of think about like the Germany, you know, the Ber Berlin Wall. Did I say that right? The Berlin Changbyeok, the Berlin Wall. You know, that was really, really, really big and whatever. But what was bigger than that was what was kept in people's mind, you know, in their emotions, the emotional barrier, cultural barrier, and then what they had in their minds and hearts, the hostility that they held against each other. I mean, Germany is still working through that, right? So the wall was huge, but then I think the inner problem was even bigger than that. And I think Soreg totally shows you, yeah, it's just like a five feet tall, like four feet tall, whatever, just a stone structure. You could easily cross over, but then what that shows to us is the hostility that was are present in the hearts of the Jewish people. How they despise the Gentiles. And how Gentiles totally believe that, oh, this is definitely off limit. You know, we cannot go any further in. You know, it just symbolizes that division and separation that was there. And it was kind of like, some, someone put it like, low yet life-risking to cross over. So Sureg, any Gentile would try to go over that barrier you would have to face death. That was how severe that hostility was, you know? Yeah, so Christ, it says, Christ has broken down the wall, it says. I mean, we're not 100% sure that if he's talking about that wall or the walls in the hearts of the people, in people's minds, but overall, the division and separation that's been there for thousands of years between Jews and Gentiles, it has been broken down. So Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility between those two, not two people, but between those groups of people, right? And verse 15, let's look at it. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It's interesting that Cassandra earlier, no, Lisa earlier, showed us that video clip of the Messianic Jews. Uh, those who are listening to the podcast, it, the video showed us that how all these Jewish people had dreams of Yeshua, Jesus, and then came to the Lord and became Messianic Jews and had the community. It kind of showed us the testimonies of that. And um, it's interesting that, you know, the Bible makes it clear that salvation came from the Jews to the Gentiles, right? But now, if you look at the church right now, the Gentiles are trying to pull in the Jews. Gentiles are praying for the Jews to return. You look, at the, you look at what we just did. We watched the video and prayed for the Jews to come in, you know. But you see God's heart in this verse so clearly that he wanted us to be one new man. He wanted us to be one new man. And we were actually, Gentiles were added to the Jews, they're the OG. They're the original group of people. We were actually added to them. But now the picture is kind of, it's kind of like tipped over. And now we are, Gentiles are the main church. And we're trying to bring in the Jewish people. I think God is pretty sad about that. I think God is happy that we are praying for that because that's his heart. He wants us to be one new man. Where is the half? 
where are they? You know, we got to pray for them. That's why we are committed to pray for the Jews every Friday fire. At Itaewon, every Sunday stream, you guys cry out for them to return because God's desire is for us to be what? One new man. Just a side note. That's beautiful. Verse 16, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Everyone's saying, killing the hostility. And we're going to really get this point. I think I have a really smart group of people. Um, I think everyone's actually following. I pray for clarity in your mind, and I think it's working. You guys are smart. I like you. Okay. You remember that picture that I showed you, the temple? If you think about it, yeah, Gentiles were separated completely, the Soreg. Gentiles were separated. But if you really think about it, the Jews were also separated. You guys catch that? Yeah, they were a little further in. They could go in a little bit more. But the Holy of Holies, the holy place, they had no access to that unless they were like the high priest. Even the high priest had access to that room once a year. You really think about that, the division, the hostility that was there wasn't just between the two group of people, but there was definitely the hostility. I mean, Apostle Paul's bringing in a new dimension to the hostility. Yeah, there were between Gentiles and Jews, but there was hostility that was greater between God and just people in general. There was that barrier. There was that wall that you could not cross, you know. And Jews were not in the court. I mean, they were in the inner court, but they were not in the Holy of Holies. And God, in his mercy, he desired such oneness with us. Inner court is not enough, my children. I want you deeper into my presence. I want you to come in, not only to that woman's court, not only to the Israel court, priest court, whatever, but into the Holy of Holies. That's where I want to hold you. That was God's heart. Come deeper inside. And he does something about it, not just wishing for it. And God wanted that intimacy so bad that he had to send his son and take care of that problem of separation, right? And the Bible tells us that in that holy place, there was a huge curtain that I do not know the measurements about. It's in the Bible. You can look it up later. But the veil or the curtain was huge and heavy. It's like something massive that you could not, you would not want to walk into. You know, the huge curtain and veil was there. And behind it, there was the presence of God. Or the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God. And, um, you know, when cross happened, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us clearly in Matthew 27, 51, that it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That heavy curtain veil was completely separated and cut open. That means access. Access to both Jews and Gentiles and us included. And I want us to kind of think about the cross right now. I have a cross bracelet right here. 
It's really tiny. But, you know, people <laughs> like to wear a cross, you know, as like, accessories, whatever. But think about a cross. I think our sanctuary is like the only sanctuary that I know don't have a cross. But, you know, cross, if you think about it, cross consists of two bars, right? Like this. One horizontal, one vertical, right? And I think it's very symbolic and interesting that, you know how so many people think that like cross represents the way, you know, the way, the path that Jesus created by his death and resurrection, that we were separated from God, but he connected us vertically, us and him, he connected us, you know, be- became the bridge between us, you know, you guys following me? Like the, the heaven and like earth, you know? If you look at uh, CCC's booklet, Four Spiritual Laws, it actually talks about how we fell short of the glory of God and we were trying to reach Him, but we all failed. And then He made the way that reached down to us and the cross became like the bridge between us and God, you know? It's a solid theology. And that vertical bar is there. And then there's a horizontal bar. And I believe that, that actually tells us that Jesus became the bridge and connection between the people as well. Between you and me. Between the people groups. Between, I don't know, families. And I really believe that that really symbolizes that Jesus became that peace. It says he himself is the peace. You know, he himself is shalom, you know. He became the peacemaker. He himself is the peace that made everything between us peaceful. That connected us. That there will be no hostility. There will be no dividing walls between me and Lydia. There will be no dividing walls between us and God. He really connected everything and took away and broke down the walls of hostility. So through the cross, reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles happened. This passage, if to kind of summarize it, and uh, they became one new man. They became one body, and they received the one spirit. They gave access to the Father, it says. Let's go back to verse 18. It says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And I do believe that when the Bible says earlier in the verse that we were once far off, we are brought near to God. And I believe he's talking about the Holy of Holies. That we actually, not really even Holy of Holies, we became the temple, right? The Bible says that we now, not the building, we are now temple of God. So God was like, don't just come to Holy of Holies, be the Holy of Holies. And we actually became Holy of Holies that walks around and talks, you know? You are sitting there and you are holy of holies. You are the carrier of God's very presence. He lives inside of you. You know, God's an ambitious God, right? He's not like just come in, but he's actually made you into that walking around holy of holies. If you really look at the picture and the glory of that, like that's pretty crazy that I am the one that exhibits that kind of glory to the world. That I'm walking around as a presence of God, the carrier of glory. I'm the carrier of God's presence. That's pretty mind-boggling, you know? People don't go to the temple anymore to see Jesus. They should come to me, right? They should come to you, <laughs> you know? And uh, this is the point that I want us to kind of pay attention to. 
This is kind of like the prophetic message that I really feel like God was wanting to release to this group of people. So let's really break it down. Um, I mean, we yeah, have to have the both dimension that I talked about, the horizontal and vertical one in our personal lives as well. You know, so many Christians are kind of like so focused on the vertical. You know, it's all about me and God and nothing matters. It's all good between me and God, then everything else, I don't care. That's very unhealthy view of Christian life. It's not just all about you and God. It's all about you and God and the people of God around you. And even the non-believers. You know, Jesus didn't just have the one stick. It was a cross. You need both. You know, we have to understand we must have both dimensions of peace. Getting rid of the hostility with the people and the, the one that stood between you and God. You got to think about both of them. Some people are so focused on the horizontal. You're a buddy-buddy with everyone, but then you don't really care about your relationship with the Lord. That's another huge problem too. You got to, you must have both in your life. Actively working on both of them. Good example from the Bible. You know, Matthew 6, 14 to 15, very, very scary, scary, scary word. This was actually in uh, our Bible study, if you are in a small group or community group. So Matthew chapter 6, it's right after the Lord's prayer. Let me read it for you. It's scary, okay? Listen to me. It says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So it says, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. Isn't that so scary? Am I the only one that's scared? I think this is such a strong word. If you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you either. And if you really think about like, what it means, it's, it's talking about the both dimensions perfectly. Like, it's not just about me, you being forgiven by the Father. It's directly related and connected to your forgiveness toward other people as well. And if you don't do this, this is no more. You know how this is like directly connected? If you don't do this, forgive others, there's no more of vertical either. You guys get me? This is like perfect description of how it's not just all about you and God or even just with the people. It's got to be both. It's got to happen at the same time. And another example is John, 1 John chapter 4, my favorite chapter. Uh, verse 20. Let me just quickly turn there. You guys can turn with me too. First John chapter 4. Where is it? Verse 20. Uh, it says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has sinned, whom he has sinned cannot love God whom he has not seen. So it says, I love you, God. You're worshiping. Love you, Lord. Whatever. God is saying, you're a liar. You just had a fight with your brother and you didn't reconcile. You have hatred in your heart toward your brother and you're telling me you love me. You're lying to me right now. So God is saying, your love for God, it depends on what? Your love for your brothers. So if you don't, this right, if you don't do this right, you tell me all you want, I love you, God, I worship you, it means nothing. That's what he's saying. That's a straight up lie to me. You cannot do that. So he's saying you've got to love your brothers, your relationship with others. There's got to be peace. 
hostility taken away, you got to apply this word to your relationships, and then there will be the vertical as well. You know, Bible is full of these examples. We must have both in our lives. Amen? So you have to grow in both dimensions. Uh, I really encourage everyone to really go back to the memories and actively forgive people. Like so many of us, I was sharing with my small group how so many people go, go when they get offended, when they are hurt, whatever, I don't care. That's okay. Whatever. I'm, I'm unoffendable. All right. But you're offended and you are hurt. But you're just saying it so that you will look fine and you just try to forget about it. But forgetting and forgiving are completely two different things. Don't think that you are, I forget, I forget it. That doesn't mean that you forgave that person. Stop doing that. You're going to recognize that you are hurt, you're offended, but deal with it properly. Now, I'm not saying anything against to the unoffendable sermon. I totally agree that there is a lot of truth in it, but there's, I'm talking about something else, you know? When you are hurt, when you're offended, you're going to deal with that emotion. Don't just say, oh, forget it, it's not important. No, it is important. You are hurt. Deal with it. Choose to forgive. Choose to forgive and bless. Forgive until you are able to bless that person. That's true forgiveness. Work on that. You can't just keep forgetting about all these things and tell God, I love you. He's going to say, yo, go back to your prayer closet. Tell me about how you're hurt by the person. Let's deal with the first. You know, it's got to happen. Easy way to, to kind of detect what you have in your heart. If you're kind of slow to your own emotions and stuff. Like when you think about the person, if you don't have that peace and joy in your heart, especially if that person is like a fellow brother or sister in Christ, that means that you got to release some forgiveness and blessing to that person. Like, not just being okay, but you know that the sense that you get, the peace that you can only get from the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that, like, peace, when you think about the person, you don't want to think about the person anymore, kind of, you know? If you have that, deal with it. You know, I dealt with my small group. I confessed to them all the hurts that I got, and I dealt with it, you know, with the witnesses in front of me. I actively forgave and blessed. You have to, we have to work on both sides. Hostility has been taken away. Amen? In there. I'm getting somewhere. Um, one more thing that I want to point out is that this, this, these verses keep repeating one body. Talking about Jew, Jewish people and Gentiles. One body in one spirit, they're going to come. One new man. It, it keeps talking about how they are. One. And this tells me that God wants us to come to him, the church, to come to him as one. And if you apply the spirit of this message to this nation that you're living in, I believe that, I mean, there is revival coming to Korea. It's, it's really evident. God has spoken it. And so many people, their eyes are on Korea. This tiny, small peninsula, what is such a big deal about this nation? But all the high, I mean, Korea has been just really highlighted to the entire world. And I believe that that's because, for, that's for the sake of gospel. It's going to come, crazy revival will hit Korea. It's going to go toward Jerusalem and back to Jerusalem thing. All that greater vision, it's, it's happening, really felt like the Spirit of God was just saying that for that revival to happen, there are some 
some unifying to be done, some hostility that has to be thrown away, some walls that need to break, be broken down, some sore rags that God's got to get rid of first, and then the revival will come. So if you really think about it, Gentiles and Jews, they, God wanted them to come as one. And then it really, really creates that like open heaven above them. You know, when, when they came as one, there was that greater revelation of the vertical, you know, the vertical, how God's, the intimacy was revealed to them as one. You know, not as two separate groups, but they were, they became one new man and then they encountered God. They became the holy of holies, you know. If you really kind of think about that, there is that order that's got to, that we got to follow. And I really felt like there were three distinct hostility that I, as a native Korean, see in this nation. And I do believe that we got to get rid of these hostilities we got to knock down those walls for us to see the revival hitting this nation. The first thing that I noticed was that uh, the, the, the wall between expat community and the native Koreans. Do you, do you feel some barrier walls with the native Koreans? How many of you here actually are sitting as like a foreigner, alien? Uh, aliens, offensive, right? Foreigners. <laughs> foreigners, someone from outside. Let me see by the show of hands. Someone from outside. How many of you sitting here with like a, I think I'm a native Korean. I'm from here. I see myself as a Korean. All right. Good balance. Okay. So we have a perfect group, like, like 70%, 30%. We're sitting as expert community or kind of native Koreans. But I sense that, you know, we've been really talking about this prophecy that revival is going to come from outside. And I really see that coming. You know, if you look at all these big conferences that Korea has been hosting, all the guest speakers are from outside. You know, it's not because Korean pastors suck. It's not because they don't know how to preach. But it's because Spirit of God is leading them to bring in what the Holy Spirit's been revealing to the world. And it's coming to Korea. All these ministers like, like Jason Ma, like... Francis Chan, I don't know, all these, all these other people that I do not want to mention, but all these people, their eyes are on Korea. You know, it is coming in, but think about how Koreans, let's say we have the hostility of uh, Americans. Oh, uh, Americans. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, these foreigners, you know, oh, uh, English, I don't want to speak English, whatever. You know, all these foreigners, if we have that hostility of the walls of we're not going to be able to receive what you bring in. Think about what New Philly has been doing. We've been raising this movement, praying for Korea, praying for the youth of Korea, or whatever, whatever. But all these things that we like muster up together, if Koreans are not willing to take it from us, if they're offended by us, just if they just don't like us, I mean, where is it going to flow to? You know, are we doing this for our own sake? Is New Philly just all about, you know, bringing revival to the expat community? No, that's not what we are doing. We want this nation to receive what we are praying for. We want this to flow into Korean church. That's what we are going at. But we got to knock down that wall of hostility, you know, from both sides. Oh, Koreans. That's so Korean. I talked about this at a joint prayer meeting uh, in March, I think. 
I preached a sermon about it. God so loved Korea. If you didn't listen to it, it's a good sermon. Listen to it again. It's a really good sermon, by the way. <laughs> but I talked about it, but it's from both sides. Oh, so Korean. That's so Korean. That is, uh, Koreans don't like that. Just mind you, all right? Koreans don't like that when you talk like that. Oh, kimchi smell. Like, that. I'll stop here. <laughs> I'll hold it in. But it's got to come from both sides. Your love for Korea has to grow. God has placed you here. You got to get rid of that hostility in your heart. Oh, Ajumma is bumping into me, pushing me, staring at me all the time. Oh, you got to let that go. Let them look at you. They look at you because you're beautiful, all right? <laughs> let it go. I was really encouraged by um, Anthony Cobbler on Facebook. Uh, he posted a picture of him and a Korean ajushi together like this, faces. And then he wrote that he, Anthony, he's, a, he's a, one of the leaders at Seaside Campus. He ran into him at a Busan subway station. And then uh, this Korean drunk man, I think, started singing some Amer- like English songs to him. You know, I don't know why he did that, but he was uh, singing to Anthony. And then Anthony had a just really great time with him. You know, he might have been like, what are you trying to do and walk away? But Anthony, I guess he clapped for him. <laughs> I guess she sang along with him. I don't know what he did. But, you know, I don't speak good Korean. I don't, my Korean's not good enough. It's a, such a lame excuse. Can I say that? You know, all of you here, do you know how to clap? You know, you can have a interaction like that at a subway for 30 minutes. Anthony said they spent such a joyful time of laughter for 30 minutes. <laughs> I think that's a little extreme, but that's beautiful, right? Uh, a Korean drunken ajushi and this black man in subway singing together for 30 minutes. I think that's an awesome picture. You know? I mean, that hostility has to go. From the hearts of the expats, from the hearts of Koreans, we got to let that go. We have to unite as one. We got to work together for the revival to come. You guys bring it in, and we got to, you need some kind of preach, you know? Preach like me, like someone that's been coming out to English ministry and pastoring at an English ministry. Like God is raising up those preach people as well. And you need both. You need each other to bring the revival into this nation. Amen? Man, the hostility, you got to let that go. Second thing I noticed, it's very, very big, is a barrier between young and old. To explain better, youth and parents' generation. The generational barrier is so, so thick and so high. There's such division and hatred um, between those two generations, especially coming from the children's perspective, such despite, like, contempt, like, rebellion. Just they, it's a huge problem. And I went to this ordination retreat. I'm getting ordained soon, so I went to, had to go to this retreat, we're just sitting through sessions and whatever, whatever. And then uh, I was having a little, I was bored. But then the last night, the Friday night, they sent us to actually a revival service of Hallelujah Church. So the retreat was being held at a Hallelujah Church. So we got to attend their revival service. But then the service was called Bijeon Buhunge, Vision Revival Service. And then it said the, the, the like a motto of it is three generations get together. 
So what I saw is from like a little babies, toddlers, like a children's ministry kids, and to youth, to Ajumajashi's parents, Harabu Germany's, like grandma, grandparents, everyone from all age groups gathered together. And even the, the, the praise team up there were like little kids dancing, like adults singing, Harmony Harabajis clapping at the back. It was just beautiful picture. And I really felt like I started crying watching them worship together. I've never seen such a thing. Revival service is for the elderly. It's for the, the parents' generation and kids need to hush hush and get out and then play at, uh, at a playground. You know, that's like a typical picture of Korean church revival service. You know, kids are, you know, gua, gua, hush, hush, you can't be here. You know, revival service is not for them. If you think about it, you know, none, none of the churches embrace the little ones into those gatherings, you know. And children's ministries is just a babysitting ministry, you know. But then what I saw was like, wow, this is what Jesus wants Korean church to look like. That's how I felt. All generations come together, worship together, pray for one another, pray for nations and things that's got on, on God's heart. Like little ones to like grandparents worshiping together. Beautiful, beautiful picture. And that's the picture that I see that Jesus is seeing. That's what he wants. That's what church is supposed to look like, no? Reconciliation between generations, it must happen. You guys remember Malachi 4, 6, uh, it's right at the end of Old Testament, there was a prophecy. It, it talks about how God's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and hearts of the children to the fathers. It talks about reconciliation between generations. And it actually is a prophecy, but it's a must because or else if we don't do it, what he says is he's going to strike us with a curse. It's an encouraging prophecy but if it doesn't happen, it says there's a curse coming. It's not a matter of choice that we, it would be good to see some reconciliation. It's not like that. It's got to happen for the revival to come to this nation. Must happen. We've been praying for youth revival, youth of this nation. But it cannot just happen on its own, just the youth. No, it's going to come with other generations, supporting them, loving on them. It's got to happen as as we witness the reconciliation between the generations. This one vision that Jason Ma shared when he spoke at IHOP, he talked about Korea for some reason, for like 40 minutes. It's an awesome video clip. You guys watch it on YouTube. But he talks about how God has given him a vision, and it was about Korean church. And it was, he saw a huge stadium, like a colosseum, full of people praying. He looks up, looks around, all gray hairs. Not a single young person. All gray-haired people praying and praying and praying. He cannot find a single young person. God's warning. That's, if you, we don't see the reconciliation, that's what we're going to see at Korean church in 20 years. Grandpas and grandmas, but children are lost. Where are they in the world? What we have, older generation, what they have kept up with all the 새벽 기도, you know, their fervent prayer, early morning prayers and all that, they have to pass it down. They cannot let it end there. They have to pass it down to the younger generation. Amen? There's got to be hostility broken off from the hearts of the children and from the hearts of the fathers and mothers. 
it must happen for the revival to come and hit this nation. One last thing, third thing, is the hostility between South and North must be taken away for us to see the revival. I mean, it's more than just the 38th parallel, the DMZ area, it's more than that. The barrier itself is nothing, really. If you've been to DMZ, there's really nothing that's blocking. It's the wall and hostility that's in the hearts of the people. You know, North Koreans see us and they think we're snobbish. That's what they say about South Koreans. They do not want to associate with us. Snobbish people, proud people. We do not, we don't want to do anything to with, like, we don't want anything to do with them. Right? South Koreans, they hate us. South Koreans, if you talk to a lot of young generation, how they think about unification, they're going to say North Koreans are burdensome. They're financial burdens. So we would rather not have unification. Where is the oneness that we used to have, that we missed each other. You know, we are one nation. How come we're divided? Where did that go? The hostility that's been built up over the 50 years that we've been divided for has to go. It has to go. For the revival to come, if you guys think about even the history of Korean church, 1907, the Pyongyang revival, when it broke forth, Wonsan, Pyongyang, where it started, it spread to the whole entire nations. You know, there was that, you know, it's from like a top down, you know, it flew to the entire peninsula. And if you think about even now, like, like, like who shared it? Lisa shared that there is how many? 400,000 pure, like Christians. There's no fake Sunday Christians in North Korea. You guys know that? No fake Sunday Christian will risk their lives to attend a service. They're all pure. Their church is bright, pure bride. Think about dividing line being gone, them influencing South Korean church. Think about that. What's going to flow from that? The remnant of people, their testimonies, what they've been witnessing in the underground churches, the miracles, what's going to flow to the South Korean church that's went into materialism, filthy rich, all these fancy buildings, all these cars. What are we going to do about the political spirit, religious spirit? I'm not saying all the churches in South Korea are like that. But so many of us, that's what we see here. But when that division is gone, when the hostility is lifted off, man, we got to receive all that. That they've been stewarding in that land. The hostility needs to go. We need to learn how to love them, how to receive from them, how to give to them. In our hearts, that's got to be the starting point. These walls, if they do not go away, really believe oh, revival cannot really come. We got to come to the place of asking for revival as one body. The Bible says clearly this verse says, come in one spirit, one new man, come before me and meet me. Make you into holy of holies. This is how I want to end the night. I want us to make groups of three. You guys, right now. Groups of three. Go, go, go. Quick, quick, quick. At least one leader in each group. Groups of three. Come on, hurry, hurry. Groups of three. Oh, no, no, Isaac, you play. <laughs> Groups of three. Okay. Who's not in a group? Groups of three. 
who's not in a group. Everyone, come on. And uh, I want us to just pray the spirit of this message to the nation of Korea. And I need you to believe that your prayers are powerful and effective. You guys believe that? Oh, man. Half of you. You guys have to believe that your prayers are powerful and effective. You must believe that. If you can't believe it, you just have to force yourself to believe it. And I need you to pray with faith. And with this, these things that I just said, things that I almost prophesied, I want you guys to take this message and prophesy over this nation. What was the first thing that I said? The wall between foreigners and every Koreans. I want you guys to prophesy that over. Hostility is being broken off right now. The fear of English is being broken off right now. You know, offenses that's coming, that's being broken off right now. You got to prophesy that. And second thing, what? The young and old, generations. You need to prophesy reconciliation over moms and dads and their children's prophesy reconciliation that they will see hearts of the father will turn to children hearts of the children will turn to the father prophesy malachi 4 6 over this people right now and the vision that i talked about prophesy that every single church will look like that in 20 30 years people from all generations all age groups will gather together and we will see ton of young people worshiping god ton of people coming out to worship together I want you to envision that. And I want you to prophesy that over the church of Korea. And third thing, barrier between what? North and south. I'm not talking about the physical parallel that, no. I'm talking about in our hearts. How South Koreans feel about North Korea, how North Koreans feel about South Korea. I need you to prophesy and just break it off. That it's a lie of the enemy. That we love one another. That we need to work together. I need you to prophesy over these three hostilities to be completely broken off i want you guys to decide one by one take one each and i need you to just prophesy and two other people just come in agreement i want you guys to pray one by one one by one so the other two people can hear you and i need you to come in agreement with the person if there's a newcomer that's okay they don't have to pray if they don't want to pray totally fine okay leader take two topics instead okay leaders take two topics okay Got it? Talk among yourselves.